Welcome to season two of Ben the Podcast. We appreciate you being part of this conversation. I'm Deb. And I'm Lillian. And we have occasional contributions from Leo the Retriever. Yeah, see if you can spot him in our episodes this season. <laughs> Hopefully this season will challenge your beliefs, spark creativity, and disrupt what it means to be well. We're coming to you from the traditional and unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe. Enjoy today's episode and thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Bend the Podcast. Um, today, we're here with Corey Rabi. She is um, an Ottawa-based certified nutritional practitioner um, and certified herbalist, owner of Radical Health, and a teacher at the Institute of Holistic Nutrition and Fit Chicks Academy. She's a board member in Ottawa of the Ottawa Herb Society. Um, welcome. Thank you for Thanks. being here with us. Thanks for welcome, having me. welcome, Corey. It's really nice to meet you in this way over Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. It's beautiful out. It's Friday, so can't go wrong. <laughs> and the weather's looking awesome for the weekend here where we are recording from. So that's always a bonus, isn't it? Yep. Especially yeah. after a long, cold winter, it's yeah. starting to look up. Absolutely. Wow. There's so many entry points this week, aren't there? Mm -hmm. When, when Lillian and I were kind of planning out uh, this season, even last season, it just never came to fruition, but this season, we really wanted to talk to somebody with your expertise Mm -hmm. around, you know, the, the things we put in our bodies in terms of our health and, and what that can look like and, and turning some of that on its head too. And, um, what are you, can you start by telling us maybe how you came to this work? I want to hear about, dig in about what it looks like and, but how did, how, how do you get to be where you are right now? Well, <laughs> that's a big question. So I guess I grew up, um, you know, with that standard North American diet. So um, I ate, you know, very typically like uh, chicken fingers and like potato chips and, Um, a lot of microwave meals and not really having home cooked meals and things like that. And uh, I, you know, when I was young, I was, I was chubby, like I was starting to get chubbier and chubbier. And um, I, I had asthma, I had acne and the whole nine yards. And then I think I was about 17 or 18 and a book like somehow came to me. It's called food is a wonder wonder medicine by Dr. Neil Bernard. Hmm. And um, he's a doctor in the States and he really promoted the vegan diet. Um, Not that I necessarily promote that now or anything, but so at the time I was like, wow, okay. And it had all these recipes and like a food guide. And in it, he said, just try this for six weeks, try it for six weeks, or maybe it was four weeks. I can't remember and see how you feel. And I was like, I was getting to an age where like I could, you know, buy my own food and cook my own food and da da da. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to try this. And I did. And then um, it was funny because I actually got really sick at first. Um, I got sick. I had rashes. I developed psoriasis. I got diagnosed with psoriasis. I've never had it after this little episode. Um, I had headaches, da da da. But what I know now is that my body was actually detoxing from years Mm. of eating crap, mm-hmm. <laughs> processed foods, etc. And then I started to feel feel really great. And my skin cleared up. And I like had all this energy. And I had uh, the headaches went away. And what started as like, you know, a six week experiment it last lasted, you know, the rest of my life. Mm. And so you know, that's what I tell people now, if you could just commit to something, just try it for like four or six weeks and see how you feel you never know where it's going to lead. Mm -hmm. And then I just got increasingly interested in health and wellness because I saw the transformation, like, you know, with myself, Mm um, I'd also always been into nature a lot, like, uh, loved going in the woods, loved looking at plants and loved animals, like obsessed with animals. And so I, um, that sort of led me down the path of looking into natural medicine. So, Mm -hmm things like uh, just drinking like chamomile tea and and the different things that herbs can do. And that was a really slow build. And then I met an herbalist and she suggested that I do uh, like a home study course. And so I did that. 
And um, so I, I actually got my herbalist certification first um, and was an herbalist for years. And then I realized, um, and also just from my own journey that, you know, you could stack all the herbs you want or give all the herbs you want to someone, if they're not eating right, the herbs are not going to be effective. Mm. I mean, they'll mm. be effective to a degree, but not like they could be. So you mm -hmm. really have to address diet and then add the herbs and those other elements on top of things. Like diet is the base of everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then I actually didn't go to nutrition school until I was older. Um, um, and I only graduated maybe like four, four or five years ago, mm. um, but it was a lifetime of wanting to do it. I had just been focused on other things. I had a career in animal welfare and conservation, um, environmental work and nonprofit. So I was doing good things, but then I was finally like, okay, I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad I did because it was a total journey and kind of changed everything. Yeah. Long story. No, not at all. And I can, story. I can see how they're completely connected, yeah. you know, and, and as I, I really appreciate what you said about, you know, you can do all of these other things with herbs or uh, lifestyle stuff as well. And if your diet is, um, is the source of what's going on, which often I think it is, that stuff won't be as effective or it might even yeah, I don't know, harmful, but it, it probably just be counter counteractive in some ways, hey? Yeah, well, I mean, even with other types of wellness, say yoga or meditation, if you're not eating well, mm -hmm. um, if you're eating processed foods, a lot of those processed foods have additives that are excitatory that affect your neurotransmitters, affect your mood, right? So mm -hmm. I mean, definitely don't stop doing the yoga or the, the meditation or whatever, but um, you're going to feel the effects of, of those extra activities so much more if you're eating well and mm -hmm. um, not eating the bad things. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot more, we, we have more discussions, maybe some of our listeners, maybe this is new to them, but I think certainly in myself, my, my, my thoughts have, have expanded around food impacting mood, as you say, right? I remember years ago, a friend talking about her son and having some food sensitivities and he'd, you know, he, they were sorting them out and she noticed a real change in his mood. And at the time I thought, what, what? that's, that's impossible. What, what are you talking about? Like, I, I remember it just, it kind of opening my mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that, yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Cause there may be some listeners who go, come on, what is that? Like, yeah. how can food impact our mood? I, I certainly, I live it. I know, I know yeah. for sure it does. Well, I mean, it, oh, there's so many ways. So first I'll talk a little bit about food additives, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's a lot of, there's food additives and a lot of the food we eat is processed food. I'm mainly talking about, and I actually have a story too. I had um, a boyfriend back in uh, high school, I think. And he was telling me how when he was younger, like he almost got pulled out of school, having to go to uh, an alternative school because he was hyperactive. And then one day his mom noticed, just noticed some for some reason that whenever she gave him anything orange, he would get crazy after. Mm. And it turned out like it was, you know, pop, Cheetos, whatever. He was allergic to yellow dye number five. And it made him wow. like mm -hmm. super hyperactive and crazy. And she took it out and he was fine. He didn't have to go to a, like get pulled out of school mm. and have like special tutoring and all those things. So that story sort of always stuck with me. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, in nutrition school, you learn about all these food additives that are in everything and even some natural health products, right? Like natural health products, everyone thinks, oh, it must be healthy. It's in the natural health section, but th there's often food additives in those things as well. So you do have to be careful. Mm -hmm. Um and then the second point in, in uh, food affecting mood is that uh, a large part of our serotonin is, is actually made in our gut and um, another molecule that's converted to GABA, so neurotransmitter, right? And so the health of our digestive system has a direct link to the health of our brain. Mm. So um, that's sort of one of the reasons why I'm very much into gut health and, um, and digestive wellness, because I think it was Hippocrates who said, like, basically, I'll just sum it up, the basis of good health all lies in the gut. So mm -hmm. the gut is like, 
you know, you have a tree and you have, have the trunk and the branches and the, the uh, leaves, maybe flowers or whatever. Those things are only healthy if the roots of the tree mm. is healthy. And that root in your body is your digestive system because that's where mm. all your nutrients get absorbed. Um, it's where uh, you have a lot of your immune system as well. Those neurotransmitters get made. And so definitely I've seen in people, if they start working on their digestion, um, some of the things they see improved is like less brain fog, um, as a reduction in anxiety. It doesn't make things just go away, you know, mm -hmm. like there's other work you have to do. Um, less, you know, like headaches, which can contribute to mood. Um, and, you know, like there's all these sort of sayings in our culture, like I've got that gut feeling or, um, and when your stomach's upset or your digestion's upset, you certainly feel kind of cranky and you don't feel well, right? Like, um, and so, yeah, addressing that is, is I think, you know, one of the big linkages to mood and wellness. And then another thing is just making sure you have enough nutrients, um, like your vitamins and minerals provide uh, cofactors and a lot of enzymes, which are responsible for all kinds of processes in your body. And so, you know, another one that people are commonly deficient in a nutrient is uh, magnesium mm. and magnesium is really important for relaxation, smooth muscle relaxation and um, the healthier neurotransmitters. So if you're not getting enough magnesium, sometimes uh, that sort of anxiety kicks in that inability to relax. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Eileen Hart on the magnesium. You're speaking my language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what What do you think people, um, how can, so people might be listening going gut health. Okay. I haven't heard that. What, what can we do to promote that? What, what helps promote gut health? Oh, well, that's a huge topic. I mean, yeah. I, I could just talk about even one aspect for over an hour, but yeah, yeah. I mean, our, our gut basically, I mean, I say gut, I mean, our digestive system, mm -hmm. which goes from our mouth all the way to, you know, our anus, <laughs> if I can, mm -hmm. if I'm allowed to say that word. Um, so, you know, through our body, we sort of have this hollow too, where our food gets digested and it goes through our esophagus, our stomach, small intestine, large intestine. Um, and there's a number of things that people can do to improve their gut health. And a lot of the tips I get are give are actually like the things you've always heard, you know, but then people don't practice. So one mm. of the most basic things you can do to improve your gut health is actually chew your food properly. Mm. <laughs> like your, your grandmother always said, and you know, in our culture, we we're always in a rush. We, I mean, I even see it with my niece and nephew um, being like, okay, hurry up and finish your food. You know, we got to go. Um, and we're not actually macerating our food enough. And when we chew, we release chemical signals that set the stage for the entire digestive process, um, including the release of digestive enzymes, hormones, and um, so some people, just the simple act of improving their chewing will completely eliminate things like acid reflux hmm. um, and then further digestive issues down the, down the canal. Um, so that's just like one example of mm -hmm. something, a real basic thing mm -hmm. you can do to improve gut health is just eat slower, be more relaxed when you eat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, and there's uh, so many other things. I mean, I could give, I could go into like the complex reasoning behind it, but you know, like uh, Michael Pollan said, e mm. eat like a variety of food, mostly plants. I think that's such just great basic advice. You need, mm -hmm. you need that fiber. Our ancestors ate way more plant material than we did, than we do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, most of our diet was plant material. You know, you hear, you often think hunters and gatherers, you think of the men going out and they're like wine cloths and spears mm -hmm. and like hunting down a mammoth or something. But most of the food was actually coming from women who were gathering, mm. gathering leaves and seeds and branches and things or twigs and things like roots. And that's what we were eating. So um, that plant material, those fibers feed the beneficial bacteria in our gut. So right now there's a lot of focus on probiotics. 
Um, so getting probiotics through, you know, either capsules or fermented foods, but we actually have most of our good bacteria is residential bacteria. It's there all the time in our gut. And when we eat fibers, we feed those beneficial bacteria and they proliferate and then they outpopulate the bad bacteria. Um, and the bad bacteria will reduce their numbers, right? So eating enough fiber variety of fibers is actually more important than probiotics in terms of mm. like healing your gut or helping your gut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, again, I'm, okay. sorry, there's so much to say. I'm just saying like a couple things here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. On your, your comment on chewing, I really appreciate that because when you look to like media for wellness, often you're told to buy a product, right? Like buy probiotic or buy something and really chewing, like how accessible is that for everyone, right? Yeah. Chew your food. You don't need to go and buy something. You just need to chew your food. So I really appreciate that being kind of the first thing. Yeah, absolutely. Said, yeah. And I think it just speaks to a larger piece about us just being on autopilot so much, right. And not being mindful with the very basics, like eating. Yeah. And how how and simple is chewing and present when you eat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no and I mean, even myself, right. I'm aware of it. I know all the repercussions to, I'm just in that mode sometimes. And I I've had to put like a big sign on my kitchen table, like chew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just making the commitment to do it. And again, taking those, whatever that four to six weeks. So it just becomes a habit, right. And you're not thinking about it. So a fun fact, there's actually a, a study done on people who eat Subway, like Subway sandwiches, mm -hmm. and they measured the average time they chew their food. So you should be chewing maybe like 30 times, something like that. Most Subway eaters were uh, chewing seven times and oh then swallowing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. What a, what a quirky study. And, and I believe it, right. Cause often when people are on the go and they're maybe ravenous or really, um, craving that kind of processed stuff. Yeah. Um, interesting. It may be not with, with subway, but I've certainly been guilty of when I'm really hungry. Sometimes I, I forget, you know, slow it down. In fact, yeah. it, you know, the times when maybe I don't, it, it, I don't feel great. Yeah, you scoff it down and then you might have, I mean, I still do it, you know, it happens, mm -hmm. um, but you might have like bloating later and, and then you're like, why do I have bloating? Like, did I eat something that I'm sensitive to or whatever? And um, no, it could just be that you didn't chew well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, you do a lot of work with fermentation and, and fermented foods, right? Could we talk a little bit about that and maybe the importance of it for our gut health and how we kind of came away from eating more fermented foods in the standard North American diet? Yeah, well, back. This, this is like my favorite thing to talk about. Mm. So sorry if I go kind of off in different directions. No, no we ask because we're really interested we too. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, so, you know, traditionally fermented foods were a necessity. Um, because it was a way of preserving food and every culture across the world has some sort of fermentation mm -hmm. in their like in their diet and their food preparation uh, uh, way of life and um, you know it's only in North America that we've kind of come away from it and we are actually eating a lot of fermented foods you are you're actually eating a lot of fermented foods like I'm having something fermented now which is tea mm -hmm. um, coffee's fermented chocolate's fermented mm -hmm. Um, now those don't contain live probiotics. So fermentation is just done for flavor, whatever. Um, but we, you know, and, and in North America, the most common fermented foods are probably yogurt, uh, beer and wine, which can actually be beneficial if you have like, if it's not overly processed. And, uh, beer and wine actually has some beneficial yeast and obviously, you know, in small amounts. Um, but yeah, most of North Americans just don't eat fermented foods. And I think part of the reason is that at some point there was, you know, this big scare uh, over bacteria and bacteria being bad. And back there was the disease theory where bacteria cause disease. And the goal was to eliminate all bacteria. And so we were soul cleaners like Lysol and 
you know, all, we had to like wipe all the counters. And I think that's kind of come back a little bit with mm-hmm. COVID actually. Absolutely. Um, although COVID's a virus, but um, most of the bacteria and actually many viruses, yeasts are, are beneficial to us. Um, and, um, you know, through this scare in bacteria, we've been taught to disinfect everything, but we've also come to fear our food, mm. right? We've, and then uh, we've been taught, you know, if anything with mold on it, it's bad, throw it out right away. Like, um, and, and it's true that some bacteria can cause very serious illness, but this is really not, this is a, really a minority, right? Mm. Um, and then, you know, I think the fear of fermented foods also comes from canning. So people kind of confuse canning and fermented foods. And with canning, you know, there is this invisible bacteria called botulism, Clostridium botuli or something like that. And if you don't can, right, it will grow and you'll end up getting really sick, but that's not not a risk in fermented food. Mm. Um, so no one's ever actually died from eating fermented food. Well, there's been two, I think two or three associated illnesses. And um, there's a woman in the States who was fermenting in a uh, vase. She was making kombucha and it, the vase was crystal. So it had lead in it. So she got mm. lead poisoning. Uh-huh. Um, and then there was someone else, I think with like a pre-existing kidney um, issue who was drinking like seven liters of kombucha and so they attributed (laughs) his death to that so like there are all these like weird anomalies sort of Mm. situations but you know the thing with fermented foods is if it if there is mold or you didn't do it right you can just use your sense your senses will tell you you'll be Mm. able to see it most of all you'll be able to smell it you'll be able to taste it um and I think I think one issue is that there's this sort of like cult of expertise, right? With food and cooking and and like this idea that you somehow have to be an expert to do these things. But, and like, there's been this move away from just using our senses to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And with fermented foods, like it really does engage your senses. I mean, you can even hear foods fermenting, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, people just have to have enough faith in themselves that they're going to be able to see, taste, smell, hear if something's wrong with mm-hmm. the fermented food. It's quite obvious when the fermented food is like, like has mold or yeast, then you shouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think addressing that fear, I mean, that fear is one reason why people have moved away from fermented mm. foods, but luckily there's been a big revival mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, we're hearing all about the importance of probiotics and gut health and how we need to re-inoculate our intestines. Um, again, the best way to do that is actually by eating fiber rich foods because we have all this residential bacteria and when they're fed the right fiber, they'll proliferate, right? Mm. Um, the probiotics found in capsules and fermented foods just moves through you and you actually end up pooping a lot of it out. Mm. Um, but while they're there, they, imp- they perform very important functions. They help the residential bacteria. They'll make up for something you're, you're missing. They'll work with the immune system and they'll do all kinds of jobs. So it's really important if you are um, consuming fermented foods or probiotics to make sure you're doing it on a daily basis because mm. you know they'll do the work they get pooped out but if you have the lack of residential bacteria doing that work you need to just constantly consume it and then over time if you're consuming it uh, your residential bacteria populations actually slowly shift because they're reproducing with these mm. transient bacteria mm. and slowly um, increasing in numbers and doing different types of jobs so um, yeah, uh, I don't, now I've lost myself where I'm going with this, but yeah, I mean, I think with fermented foods, it's like any sort of health and wellness practice. The key is consistency. Mm. The key is to eat it regularly. A couple tablespoons of sauerkraut a day, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of yogurt, um, some small amount of kombucha or other fermented drink. It's all about doing it regularly. Um, and I'm a big fan of just making it your fermented foods, um, like part of your home wellness practice, right? Like make, like, you know, have a kind of schedule if that works for you, um, or, 
you know, maybe do it on an as-needed basis, but yeah, make batches of sauerkraut and keep them around. The, the beauty of ferment, a lot of fermented foods is like they're, they're preserved, right? So like once you make it, it's there. And so when I, when, you know, well, when I used to come home at the end of the day, <laughs> I have this like automatic side dish because I could just take a couple scoopfuls out of the jar of say mm. sauerkraut and put it on my plate and eat it. Mm -hmm. So it's really convenient as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah and now I feel I've gone way off topic so I'm going to let you rein me in oh, that's okay not at all that's so fascinating yeah. and it's I mean correct me if I'm wrong but it's fairly easy to do some of this work on your own at home right I know that I I did try my hand at sourdough we gave <laughs> her some sourdough at starter and, at one point and it, it, it I didn't end up being very successful with it but because of my own lack of attention um, <laughs> yeah but it is fairly easy to do some of this stuff on your own at home isn't it yeah, it's totally easy. And, and, you know, in normal times I teach workshops, I do have a couple of videos on my YouTube channel. Hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, it is fairly simple, but it, it is a bit of, you have to learn it. It's a skill like any other skill. Mm -hmm. And so when people are like, oh, you know, I tried it and I failed. It's mm -hmm. like, well, how many times did you try it once? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, no, <laughs> like you, you gotta like, it's a skill like any other skill. You have to practice it. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. Mm -hmm. Right. And the better your senses get attuned to what's going on and you could just figure it out um, logically or through, through your senses and be able to, um, fix things or do it better or whatever. Um, and yeah, like any skill, it just takes practice. So mm -hmm. I always say like, if you mess up, just try it again, you know, try to figure out where you went wrong, maybe watch a you another couple YouTube videos and just go at it again. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I say that for myself because there's ferments I haven't tried or things I've only done a couple times and I'm still learning, right? So mm. um, I still make mistakes, still happens and mistakes are just part of learning. Mm. And it is a little bit like, oh, I wasted some food, but um, most of the ferments, the raw materials aren't expensive. So you're not, you know, it's not a huge investment. Mm -hmm. Corey, what would you recommend for people listening saying, yeah, I'd like to give something a shot. What, what would be a good entry point in terms of starting some fermentation at home? Yeah, well, I always say if you could tolerate dairy um, and dairy intolerance is a whole other topic because there's different aspects of dairy someone might be sensitive to. But if you could tolerate dairy, milk kefir is probably the mm. easiest one. And it's also um, from the research I read has the most probiotics and in, mm. in, in terms of amount and diversity. Mm. Um, so with milk kefir, you basically have these little miniature uh, scobies, which are a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. Same thing when you make kombucha, you get a mm -hmm. scoby as well, but it's mm -hmm. big and round. These ones are, because um, there's different types of scobies. These ones are small. They kind of look like little cauliflowers, like little brains and they're mm -hmm. white. And you literally just pop them in a jar, pour milk over it, wait 24 to 48 hours, strain it out, and then uh, keep the grains, put them back in the jar and then do it again. Hmm. And that's it. And it's done at room temperature. Um, and you could put that uh, kefir into smoothies or smoothie bowls. You could use it to make dips, salad dressing, like it's really, really versatile. So that's a good one if you can tolerate dairy. Mm -hmm. um, and again, the, the fermentation process of the milk reduces the lactose mm. like by a lot. Mm. So people who have a dairy issue because of lactose can often do milk kefir. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there's some research showing if you take milk kefir regularly, um, that you're getting the right bacteria to digest lactose. And over time, some people can digest lactose just from consuming mm. milk kefir regularly. Mm. Well, that's pretty so amazing. Drink, yeah, drink regular milk even and, and such. Can, um, I, can I just ask, so I'm, I'm trying to be a listener here, where would somebody get a SCOBY? You know, somebody might be thinking, hey, I, that sounds great, but where do I get that? Where, how does that happen? Yeah, well, you could order them online. You can oh, sometimes cool. find them in health food stores, but my favorite way is just Kijiji. Oh, very cool. Oh, <laughs> then, wow. Yeah, because then, I mean, again, in the before times, um, there's a big culture with sharing cultures, right? And hmm. ferments and 
Uh, you could go on Kijiji, you could uh, see if someone in your area is selling them. That way too, a lot of the, well, in terms of uh, milk heifer, a lot of times if you get them from a company, they come dehydrated and there's a whole process you have to do to rehydrate them. If you get them locally, they're fresh. Huh. Um, and then, you know, you also, and the before times got to meet the person and the person mm -hmm. would tell you their way of doing it. And mm -hmm. you, know, you never know what can come out of those sort of connections. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of building community around that, which is very cool. Cause I'm sure people are really keen to share their knowledge, right? When they're handing this thing over that they've nurtured or they've, you know, that has made a, has had a presence in their life. That's, it's kind of, that's a cool connection. Yeah. And because scobies are bacteria and yeast there, each one can be a little bit different. Mm. I mean, very true for sourdough starter. There's starters here in Ottawa because the starter interacts with the bacteria and yeast in the air, um, has a whole different, a big different uh, bacteria profile than say a starter in like, I don't know, Czechoslovakia or mm. like uh, San Francisco and they all behave differently. So when you get it from a person, they'll be able to, I mean, I remember getting water kefir grains from a woman here in Ottawa and she's like, oh, this one really likes it if you use like brown sugar or, mm. you know, there's specific nuances to each starter and the owner, only the owner of that starter really knows it. Hmm. And that makes it kind of fun. And mm -hmm. there are actually different types of milk kefir grains you can get. Most of them you'll see are these little small ones that look like little brains, but you mm -hmm. can get them in their like strands. There's like Russian varieties, there's mm -hmm. Eastern varieties. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah. perhaps the your your sourdough didn't turn out because we didn't give you the proper instructions mm -hmm. about what it likes, Lillian, and what you know. Or it was just my, my lack of attention, I think. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe a bit of both. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I just want to add if you can't do dairy, um, definitely the vegetable ferments are are great. Hmm. So sauerkraut, kimchi, you know, lacto-fermented vegetables. That's a bit more of a process um than the milk kefir, but um, you could, the good thing about that, you could do a lot of at one time and then you have it, um, for, you know, length of time. I recommend starting small, like when you're first starting out to start doing small jars. So in case you, you know, in case it doesn't go well, there's not a big waste. Um, but there's videos on YouTube on how to do that. You know, normal times I teach workshops on it. Mm -hmm. I do have a video on sauerkraut on my YouTube channel as mm -hmm. well. Um, uh, but yeah, I, and also, you know, back to like, if it, if you mess up the first time, just do it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As, as, and it's just a process, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just a process and you know, it's, it's, I think it's fun. But. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like your own little science experiment at home. Yeah. And it's yeah. your own little pet and it will change, you know, mm -hmm. in the, especially in that first week with sauerkraut, mm -hmm. there's a lot of bubbling and gas mm -hmm. um, and it will change with the seasons as well and the temperature mm -hmm. and especially sourdough is really responsive to the environment. So mm -hmm. uh, it kind of connects you to this natural, to natural processes and reminds you how we are connected to the earth and the seasons and these fluctuations so much so it shifts these bacteria out of, outside our body but it also affects the bacteria in our body mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I think you're selling me on it's not that I don't like fermented foods I I, I do um, my partner's big into fermentation and he does you know kombucha and he does the sauerkraut and stuff and I, I see the beautiful bottles as they're fermenting or jars of of um, kombucha particularly and and you know I'll, I'll take a sip sometimes and say well I don't really like a juice I'm not into and it's but it's not a juice and I do like fizzy things and I just I think I need to dig into that a little bit more because I I I, I know that it's it's good for me and it's made in my house you know I think that that would be mm -hmm. you're, yeah. you're shifting my thinking around that well, you have control over the ingredients. And the mm. thing is, well, first of all, there's lots of fermented drinks. So don't stop at kombucha. There's mm -hmm. all kinds of fermented drinks. Um, the other thing is um, when you make it at home, you control the ingredients. And the thing with store-bought ferments, this is something we have to watch out for because like any food, they're becoming um, commodified and mm. um, 
they're becoming commercialized. Mm. And so a lot of the store-bought kombucha in particular has a ton of sugar. Mm-hmm. Even store-bought kefir, like I was at, I won't say the name of the grocery store the other day. I posted it on my Instagram and I, I found a bottle of blueberry kefir and it had like 28 grams of sugar. Mm. And, um, you know, Coke just for reference has 39 grams. That's oh, a gosh. ton of sugar. Wow. Um, and I think people see, oh, kombucha, kefir, it's healthy for me. And they don't realize that, you know, the store-bought varieties are often really sugary. Mm. Another issue with store-bought ferments is because they have to sell, the product has to be consistent, right? Um, It has to have a certain amount of sugar. um, It has to be a certain amount of fizz or whatever. Um, When they're fermenting it, what they do is they actually uh, ferment it with the the bacteria that you're supposed to ferment it with, the ones that have all those benefits that you read about in studies, but then they pasteurize it. So they boil it to kill off the bacteria. Then to market it as probiotics, they add probiotic powder back in. Oh my gosh. So you're actually only getting like one or two strains of bacteria and not, you know, not the variety that you would get with real home fermented foods. Um, Milk kefir is a great example. So I did some research and and the best milk kefir you could find commercially has 10 different types of bacteria. Um, when you make it at home, it has like about 33 different mm. types of beneficial mm. bacteria, mm. right? And a much higher amount as well. So you do have to watch out for commercial ferments. Mm. Um, that being said, there's a lot of great local companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Pyramid Ferments is a good one. Um, they're based out of Prince Edward County mm. and they make really great ferments. And there's a few in Ottawa as well. So Mm. definitely local is good and then you also want to ask um how long they've been fermenting their foods for especially for things like sauerkraut and kimchi because if it's just a couple days mm. you're not going to get that variety that of bacteria and amount that you do with a longer ferment mm-hmm. oh that's that's important i would never think because sometimes at the farmer's markets you know people are selling fermented things and yeah that's that's a really good point yeah yeah so just ask the farmer how long. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's important for mm-hmm. sure. And I, I appreciate what you said as well, just about the, the commodification of this kind of wellness approach. Right. And, and that to sell it to us, they're obvious adding sugar. I bet there's dye in some stuff too. And, you know, just um, mm-hmm. in, in order for it to be palatable and still, still, <laughs> the perception that it's still beneficial. Yeah. I, wow. How disturbing that, that they then, they, they, they kill the bacteria and then they add more mm-hmm. probiotic in a way that isn't it. Yeah. Wow. No idea that, yeah. that that was a thing. Yeah. And, and yeah, they definitely have to make things sweeter to appeal to a broader mm-hmm. audience. And then, I mean, also like you see the word probiotic slapped on everything yeah. like crackers and this and that. Yeah. It's like, there's no life probiotics in that because mm-hmm. that term is not regulated. Ah, so, I mean, I could say like, I don't know, but I could say like my phone has probiotics. Uh-huh. There's no, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's no laws around what can be labeled probiotic and what's not. Wow. I mean, at one point they probably threw some powder in there or something and called it, pro- threw some probiotic powder in there and called it probiotic. Mm. But if it's been heated, there's no live probiotics. And if it's a powder and it's been seen on the shelf, like, yeah, there's, it's just gonna, the amount will go down over time if there's even any live probiotics left in it when it hits the shelf. Oh, wow. That's, that's disturbing about that term not being regulated, right? So that, that would invite us to think more critically about what Mm -hmm. we're purchasing or what we're, we're consuming that, that suggests otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a whole other conversation, right? The way that things are marketed to us as organic or wellness or, you know, whatever probiotic, whatever it might be, especially when it comes to, to food and supplements and things we put in our bodies certain terms aren't regulated the word organic is luckily Mm -hmm. so if it says organic it has to be organic but Mm -hmm. other words like natural Mm -hmm. um uh healthy like probiotic rich like those aren't regulated so it's Mm -hmm. only specific terms that are are uh yeah covered by by acts and regulations 
Mm-hmm. And, and companies capitalize on that, right? Because people, maybe five, 10 years ago, people may not know what a pro, 10 years ago, let's say, I think five years is maybe not long enough. People may not have heard the term or understood the term probiotic, but it's everywhere now. I suspect most people have a, a very um, simple idea about what it is. And so when they, they, they equate that with, with some kind of health, whether it's gut health or not, and then they see these crackers, if, if, if they have the choice of this cracker that has probiotics and this cracker that doesn't, you know, yeah, there's, there's whole industry around the mm-hmm. wellness piece of this. Isn't yeah. There? Yeah. Yeah. As you were talking about um, kombucha, I, I saw recently that a, a local cafe has this drink. I'd never heard of this. Maybe this isn't new. Um, a shot of espresso and kombucha. Hmm. Oh, Ew. Yeah, they're they're kombucha <laughs> makers like as well. I, I don't know. I'm, Maybe I'm they kind made of, that taste good, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to imagine of, the sour flavor. Imagine of the kombucha combined with the espresso. So I know espresso is so quite bitter, at, depending on the espresso. But um, I'm I'm kind of curious just because it's you know yeah anyhow I, yeah I've never tried coffee kombucha that sort of flavoring together mm, but yeah there's mm-hmm. all sorts of like you could do so much with uh flavoring fermented drinks like well any ferment really like once you understand the technique this the science of it and how to do it you can take you could ferment anything like you could go in so many different directions like you know, I make sauerkrauts and I throw in all kinds of wild edibles. Like I know my wild edibles from being an herbalist, mm-hmm. right? So I'll throw in nettle leaf and dandelion and mm-hmm. uh, basswood leaves and all kinds of things and make um, different types of ferments or, or roots like dandelion root and burdock root. And mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, fermented veggies. But yeah, with the drinks, like the flavoring options are so wide and wonderful and weird. And mm-hmm. If you're experimenting with that, you may have some failures, but you may I bet. Mm-hmm. be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be creative and open your mind, I guess. Right. Yeah. And that's when it gets really fun, right? Like it's like in the beginning, when you're learning to ferment, there's that learning curve and you have some failures and you might be discouraged, but once you get comfortable with it, like it becomes so fun and so adventurous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think people are going to be really curious after listening to this conversation and certainly want what, um, so you, you said YouTube, people can look for further instruction. I'm sure online there's tons of stuff, right. And they're probably Facebook groups. Yeah. Yeah. To just get, yeah. I mean, I am developing a course, uh, but that's going to be for practitioners uh, exclusively at first. And then I plan to do something for the public more something online. Um, but yes, if we, Hopefully when we're able to get back into in-person things, I do workshops pretty regularly, like once a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. You've, um, I don't know if, if you intentionally did this or not, but you have brought up um, the topic of kind of intuition as you've been mm-hmm. speaking as well. Like even when it comes to fermenting foods, right? Like, you know, use your senses. If it doesn't smell good or taste good, or you're, you can't trust your gut about it, then then don't consume it. Um, and intuitive eating, I think, has become a bit of a, a buzzword as well when it comes to nutrition mm-hmm. and diet. Do you know what can you speak a little bit about that and like how to? And again, when you talked about mindfully eating, right? Like when we learn to listen mm-hmm. to our bodies, is our are our bodies guiding us towards the things that we need in terms of nutrients? Like when we crave things like sweet or salty or those warmer foods or the cooler foods. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, um, I think we've become out of tune with what our body needs and um, people have lost the connection between like symptoms and the things they're eating. So like, um, oh, I just have a headache. Well, usually that headache is caused by Um, It could be like dehydration. It could be a lot of stress too, or it could be, um, yeah, something you ate. So um, I have a good example. So I, I had allergies, like I, like, you know, seasonal allergies, I would sneeze. I was allergic to uh, molds and certain pollens and it, it just plagued me. Like it was so bad. I would lie on the couch and I, I always ate really well. Right. So I'm like, what I'm eating well, I shouldn't have this. I would lie on the couch and have to stuff Kleenex up my nose some mm-hmm. days. Right. And, um, 
I was like, there must be a food connection to this. Like I, uh, you know, while I was studying nutrition and I'm like, well, it's gut health. So I tried taking out like gluten. I tried taking out certain, those usual suspects and mm. nothing was working. And it wasn't until I was trying, um, I actually just tried the keto diet just to try it. Um, and my symptoms went away and I was, it turned out I was sensitive of all things to rice. Um, so I took rice out of my diet and like night and day, my allergies were gone. I haven't had any issue with allergies. And then my allergies would trigger asthma. I haven't had any, haven't had to use an inhaler for years now. Hmm. So that's just speaking to that connection where we have these symptoms, but we don't realize it. So it's really important to pay attention to those things and honor those things. Um, and at the same time, you know, I was going through that process, I did have that intuition that it was some sort of grain, right? Mm -hmm. So I had taken out uh, quinoa as well, and a couple other grains, and then it was, you know, rice of all things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, certainly, um, intuitive eating is important. We, um, we have different body constitutions. And if you look into Ayurveda at all, um, mm -hmm. traditional Indian medicine, mm -hmm. you know, there's the Pitta Vata Kappa and the, you know, doshas. Um, and so some people might crave cooler foods. Some people might um, crave warmer foods and that changes with the seasons as well and how those seasons affect you. So I think it's definitely important to pay attention to that and um, eat what your body wants. And yes, if you're craving salt, a lot of salt all the time, that can be a sign there's an issue with your adrenals. Mm. Um, and so you might want to get that checked out. If you're craving chocolate a lot of time, that's often a sign of magnesium deficiency, mm. right? So um, it's important to kind of look at that, but it doesn't mean you necessarily need that specific food, right? Mm. It just it might be an indicator that something else is going on. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, sometimes like, yeah, we crave sugar. <laughs> A lot of us crave sugar. Mm. That doesn't mean we should eat the sugar, right? That our body needs it. Sometimes these cravings do mean, okay, I need something really warm and nourishing and rooting. So like a root vegetable stew, or I need something cooling because I'm really hot. Like I'm feeling really hot. Right. And those are the things you should follow. But um, yeah, there's certain cravings we have that or maybe it's hard to explain, but maybe related to more of like, there's a more of a negative energy behind it. So mm -hmm. I need sugar. Cause like you're tired, you're cranky, this went wrong. And you're like, I deserve this snack, right. Of sugar. But it's, it's actually coming from a negative place where I think true intuitive eating is like just really being in tune and it feeling really good and nourishing um, rather than something to kind of um, to kind of just soothe you. Mm. temporarily when true intuitive eating will actually feel really aligned and, and more healing mm. than soothing if that makes if that mm. makes sense absolutely yeah mm. and I I think there are just I mean just if we get back to marketing and commodification you know of of food and nutrition there aren't a lot of examples of just really listening to what it is that your body needs from a place of balance and and wholeness, right? Um, yeah, I think we yeah. need to have these conversations more and more. Yeah, and I think it's really important when you are having cravings for whether you know good or bad, like to just sit, sit and and just like kind of calm your mind and try to figure out like what do you really need? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I'll I'll crave you know I obviously caffeine and sugar when I'm like go 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 you know trying to get stuff done, and really I just need to take a break and like lie down for fifteen minutes. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just slow down and not accept the fact that I can't get everything done in one day. Yeah. 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 yeah it's as much about lifestyle or, or a larger, you know, a larger conversation with yourself about what it is that you need or what's lacking than, than about that cookie or that piece of chocolate. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it goes back to that slowing down, uh, which mm -hmm. we talked about right at the beginning with mm -hmm. the chewing. Um, and mm -hmm. so if you are going to have that cookie, you are going to have that chocolate. I eat chocolate every day, um, but just a little bit. And I sit down and I really mm. like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be present with this. And it's so much more satisfying that way. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't want as much. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's, um, 
it's like it's a pleasant experience and mm. not just like a it's a lasting pleasant experience mm. not just very quick yeah. Oh, that's good advice. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Wow. There's so much more we could talk to you about. We'll definitely have to have you back because I mean, <laughs> there are tons more. Uh, um, yep. should, should we ask, ask our question, Lily, or do you have more to, did you have something else you wanted no, to? I, I think that's good. Like you said, there's I think so there's so many ways we could go with that conversation yeah. and we'd love to continue yeah. the conversation another mm -hmm. time, but yeah. what, what does wellness mean to you? The question we ask everybody at the end of our episodes. <laughs> wellness. Well, I think it means consistently um, doing things to sort of daily habits that support a healthy body and mind. Mm. So I think wellness is more, it's not like an outcome. It's more of a mindset of mm. um consistently nourishing yourself and and trying to do the things that are good for you on a daily basis yeah mm -hmm. building those good habits mm -hmm. I, yeah, I really, it's a continuum mm -hmm. yeah I, I i appreciate that because often the wellness the version of wellness we're often sold is an endpoint it is this yeah. you know end point by this insert whatever this is and the result will be this. And so it's result driven, but a continuum. I love that. That's yeah. Yeah. You know, mindset. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm sure people will want to know more about you or, you know, find out how they might access you. How, how can people find out more about you, Corey? Uh, well, I mentioned my YouTube channel. It's, mm -hmm. it's not something I update regularly. I'm pretty horrible at making videos. So I'm on there or radical health. And then my website, radicalhealth.ca. I do have a newsletter. Another thing I'm horrible at doing is sending out my newsletter. Um, but I'm pretty active on social media. Yeah. Um, I know some people turn away from it, but it's just a convenient platform, right? It's a of quick course. So Instagram is probably the best, which is at radical underscore health and then Facebook radical health. And then I also, um, I guess I'm the admin of, or the founder of Fermentation Ottawa, which is on Facebook as well, mm. which is just a fermentation group where people post their ferments and ask questions and things like that. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm sure people will appreciate that and connect with you after hearing this conversation. Um, you've taught me a lot. You've opened my mind. I am going to start you know, having some of the house-made kombucha in my life. I know that <laughs> nice. it'll be good for me. And even just starting in little bits and, and um, appreciating what it will do for my gut. So that's, that's cool for me. Thank you for yeah. that. The thing with kombucha is uh, kombucha traditionally was drank in four ounce servings. So don't uh, drink too much. Like a lot of people will get like, drink a bottle. Yeah. Of yeah. And it's really supposed to meant meant to be like a shot almost you know like just a, a, a little bit yeah well that's way that's more manageable for me because I don't tend to yeah that's not a drink of choice for me so that thank you that yeah. gives me permission to actually do it not only do it in make it palatable for myself but not palatable that's the wrong word but get myself introduced to it but also do it well right I, that I don't need to yeah. overdo it so yeah that's cool mm -hmm. um it's been a pleasure talking to you today and um hopefully we can connect again. This mm -hmm. has been really, um, really informative and, and helpful. Yeah, I'd love to. It was great. You guys asked great questions. And uh, thank you so much for doing this and getting, you know, the, me the message of wellness out there. Thanks, Corey. Thank you. Take care. Ben, the podcast is a production of Ben Wellness. For more information, check out our website, bendwellness.org. Thanks for listening.